E-Road provides fleets with advanced capabilities for remote reefer control, real-time compartment mismatch detection, product-specific temperature alerts, and a host of compliance management applications. It's time to revisit how your refrigerated goods are monitored. the coolest community in freight. I'm your host, Mary O'Connell, bringing you the latest tech updates, warehouse news, and everything happening in the cold chain world. Not only is there the coolest show in freight, but there's also running on ice the, t- the newsletter that could not be colder. You can subscribe to that on freightwaves.com slash running on ice. Today, our guest is the one and only Jason Park, CEO and co-founder of Cold Cart. Welcome to the show, Jason. Thanks so much for having me, Mary. I am pretty excited about today. Uh, it's something we've touched on a little bit, but we haven't really gone as far down the rabbit hole as we're going to go today. And that is the world of perishable e-commerce and all of that jazz. But before we get too far into that, let's get some background on you and kind of how you got started at Cold or how you started Cold Card. Yeah. So um, I've done a few things in my career. So I started out my career at a B2B e-commerce company called McMaster Car. And I spent about half of my time there managing e-commerce fulfillment. So um, putting small items in boxes and you know bringing in trucks of inventory. And then I spent probably the other half of my time there on designing and implementing systems to do those things more efficiently. So kind of half on the physical side and half on the digital side. I uh, then spent uh, several years at Bain & Company Management Consulting, joined their tech practice. This was in 2011. So this was right around the time that quote unquote, the cloud was becoming a real thing. And so that was, you know, working with, uh, you know, global IT outsourcing companies, hardware software companies on figuring out how to essentially redirect their entire business models to um, get into this sort of quote unquote, as a service world and stop selling physical products and services. And then I joined Allstate and started their consumer cybersecurity and identity protection business, which um, started out with a, uh, team of one mediocre person, which is me trying to kind of do everything. And then uh, when I left, it was about 100 million ARR and South Dakota Allstate Identity Protection. And I believe they just passed 300 million ARR last year. So it's they've done a lot of cool stuff with it even since I left. And so how that sort of origin story, I guess, then plays into, you know, how Cold Card got started is, I guess, um, like most startups, um, two people know each other in college, reconnect after 10 years and say, hey, let's start a company together. And so that's, uh, <laughs> you know, more or less that's it. No, but um, so I went to Harvard undergrad with uh, my co-founder, Matt Salzberg, who had started the company Blue Apron about 10 years ago. And we kind of got reconnected uh, a couple of years ago now. And, um, you know, I hadn't talked to him since he started Blue Apron. So I asked him this question. I was like, I've always wanted to know just how did you figure out how to ship boxes of vegetables to people's apartments? Because honestly, I always thought that was a ridiculous idea. I just told him. <laughs> it was interesting. They were a billion in revenue when he was CEO, and they were actually investing quite a bit in fulfillment. And he would say largely that they never felt like they figured it out, that there was still massive amounts of inefficiency and um, so much more they wanted to do. But it was always just kind of you know, too much overhead, too much engineering, just a little too much kind of specialization that you would need to really kind of lean into it. And so, you know, you just sort of leave all that value on the table. And um, I think for me, like how Cold Cart went from being two friends talking to um, a company that's uh, you know, shipping over a million dollars in merchandise a month is 
just a couple of things. One is that, you know, when you look at, when you guys look at all different types of logistic solutions and such, and, um, you know, when you look at kind of regular e-commerce and how much progress has been made in that space, you know, you have companies like Chip, uh, you know, FBA, et cetera. And you know, if I want to sell sneakers online, I've got um, you know, any number of ways I can ship to my customers efficiently. And you know, in the last 10 years, this much progress has been made in regular commerce. There's been literally zero progress made in perishable, as you guys know. And you know, you look at this and you say, these two things should be the same. And in fact, perishable has been the fastest growing category of e-commerce ever since 2014. And for, you know, apparently my left hand is perishable e-commerce. And so for there to be zero progress here in comparison to regular commerce, it's not that, you know, we haven't even asked the right questions yet as industry, and we don't actually understand this thing over here. And that's really what motivated the creation of Coal Cart. And obviously I'm happy to talk more about what we do and, you know, that type of thing, but. So I guess why, so we have regular fulfillment up here and we have cold storage fulfillment down here. Um, so why is it so much harder to figure it out down here in this perishable re-commerce? Like, why is it so much more complicated? Is it literally just the introduction of, you know, things spoiling or the complicated temperatures or is it something, you know, more significant than that? Yeah. So it's, um, yes, it's about the introduction of temperature control, but that creates a whole kind of complex array of problems underneath. So the kind of textbook answer, I guess, is that, you know, for a perishable e-commerce company, if I'm doing a billion dollars, let's say a perishable e-commerce revenue, and I compare myself to a billion, you know, company doing a billion dollars a year of non-perishable e-commerce revenue, at the same size, I am significantly more scale and disadvantage than on my regular e-commerce counterpart. And um, it's minimum efficient scale because of temperature control is just so much higher. And that's really been to the detriment of the entire industry. And the reason for that is that products spoil. So you put a package, you know, send it on its way. And if it delivers day late, then all the product is bad, everything's melted, and you're refunding that order and probably losing a number of future orders from that same customer. So because of that premise, everything underneath changes. So now I have to have, from a kind of fulfillment network perspective, a much denser network of shorter delivery routes, which means that I have to have orders of magnitude greater number of vendors than I would in regular e-commerce, which means that I have that many more potential points of failure, that many more IT integrations to do and manage or lack thereof in many cases, and um, that much more kind of rate disparity on the same service, that many more contracts, you kind of get the idea. It's sort of this downward spiral that happens for these companies. And on top of that, you add to the fact that the cost of failure in Perishable is just so much greater. So again, if I you know, if I get, if I'm a customer, right, I get a pair of jeans delivered to me a couple of days late. I'm a little bummed out, right? But, um, I can still wear the jeans versus, you know, there's zero room for error and perishable. If that package does not arrive to my doorstep or to my business on time, then that's a refund. I am reshipping the order. And, um, you know, for most of these companies, even the largest ones in the space, you know, their refund rates are like five to 10% of their top line revenue. So it's significant. You know, you think about, if I'm shipping 10,000 orders a day and, you know, I'm running a 95% on-time delivery rate, which is not uncommon you know, in the logistics world, as you know, then I'm 
refunding 500 orders a day at um, you know let's say sixty dollars you know average order value so adds up pretty quickly and so with that that's kind of what i've got to work with here then you know, we're off to a great start right <laughs> yeah so how do i solve this right if i'm a if i'm a um you know perishable e-commerce merchant well i can just engage as many vendors as I can to get to as much efficiency as I can. And now I've got just that many more companies, partners I have to manage, that many more failure points, as I mentioned. I um, can go all in on a couple vendors and a couple last mile carriers. And that's great. You know, the rates are good. I can get more volume discounts. But then as soon as they start delivering late, which is going to happen, then there go my refunds, right? Um, I can um, just limit the number of geographic markets that I ship to, which um, unfortunately happens quite a bit. Even again, it's funny, it's sort of you have the fast growing category of e-commerce, and yet even the largest companies in the space are self-selecting out of you know growth. And you know, I live in Chicago, I, I grew up in Texas, and even within our customer base, right, some of these companies weren't shipping to either place. You know, when um, we started, and they're doing you know, it's like it's 100 million plus revenues. So um, that's kind of where we are, you know, in terms of the industry. Or you can do what kind of the Blue Aprons and Hello Freshes of the world did ten years ago in a um, environment where investment capital was quite a bit cheaper, to say the least. So you know, they get the kind of a hundred million revenue, and uh, they will just throw capital at the problem. So they stand up, you know, full vertically integrated fulfillment networks. And you know, I see how many times a day do I see a Hello Fresh branded van driving past my house and you think about it, right? A hundred million in revenue is not a very large company to be running a full vertically integrated fulfillment network. And so if that kind of illustrates sort of just the magnitude of the problem that these companies have had to, you know, overcome. And the reality is that interest rates are not zero anymore. Capital is more expensive. And so this new generation of companies where all that growth is coming from in this space is having to figure something else out. And that's where we come in. Well, yeah, because it's not like uh, something that we've talked about a lot on the show is more often than not when you're ordering something to your house or you're getting that perishable e-commerce delivery, you know, it's typically for something special, whether it's like, you know, a birthday cake. And if it shows up too late for a birthday, well, suddenly you ruined a birthday. And um, or if it's medicine, somebody misses their medicine delivery or it potentially fell out of temperature. I can't use that medicine. What am I going to use instead? And it's kind of that it's, it's much higher stakes. Like you mentioned, nobody really, nobody really cares if their jeans show up late or warm or whatever. It's that it's the higher stakes of the cold chain world. And also, like you said, a lot of the companies starting out, a lot of the e-commerce or the perishable uh, cold chain shippers, they don't, they don't, they don't have a hundred million dollars to throw at a problem. Like the ability to fix a lot of stuff with cash is a very nice very nice solution, um, but it doesn't fix those underlying problems. And not everyone has, um, you know, that blank check that they can just kind of write and say, we're going to solve, we're just going to throw money at the problem. Um, but like when you have those shippers that are looking to grow and expand, but, you know, they, they lack the resources because in a perfect world, me a cold chain shipper, I would just go and set up my warehouses and, and, and locations that I wanted to do. And eventually I'd have warehouses that's roughly a one to two day point from everywhere in the US. But again, I don't have a blank check to sit there and just say, I'm going to build all these warehouses and it's going to be fine. And my network's going to be great in two days or, or in a year, I'm going to have all these places. What are, where does that solution that you guys have really come in to say, you don't need that blank check approach? Yeah, no, that's a, those are really good points. And, um, you know, I think it's a really good point too about 
these are generally much higher stakes shipments than kind of the broader e-commerce category and not just medicines or um you know birthday cake but it might be my family's lunch for a week you know we use three different services in my house so not only are delivery dates unforgiving from an operations and spoiler side they're frankly also unforgiving from a uh customer and customer side as well and um you know you're right too that for the past 10 plus years ever since you know the category really came into being we've only band-aided the problem and now we can't band-aid the problem anymore and we actually have to solve it and you know i think it's it's interesting because when you really step back the way you make perishable e-commerce efficient the way you really kind of unlock 15 to 50 percent you know lower cost per shipment um is in many ways completely contradict sort of what you're taught in operations 101 class, right? Operations 101 will tell you, I'm going to handle every shipment the same way as uniformly as possible. And, you know, consistency, consistency, consistency. Whereas in perishable, you actually want to treat the same shipments differently every time, but do that in a consistent way. That's not complex and costly. So it's kind of, a, you know, it's easy, right? And, um, you know, it's interesting, like from a uh, one thing that people, I think it's not always obvious is just how much freaking packaging and insulation goes in these boxes. And, you know, if I'm shipping, you know, we were talking about soup early. <laughs> if I'm shipping, you know, bowls of soup, which is a pretty decent type, you know, a category of perishable GC. The weather is hot. I'm going to stuff 15, 20 pounds of dry ice in that box. If the weather is below freezing, I may not actually need any insulation depending on where that package is going, these are kind of extreme examples, but, um, you know, and the, yet the reality is temperature is not the same everywhere in the U.S. that every day or even in the same place. And how do you manage that level of granularity? Because the difference of, you know, we're talking 15 pounds of dry ice, right? That's not unusual, right? The heavy packages, you know, how um, that difference is substantial. And again, if I go too far in the other direction, then now my customer is getting nasty spoiled soup which is not exactly what i want either and then you look kind of on the on-time delivery aspect of things and you know we're talking about earlier right that for kind of broader e-commerce if i get my jeans late all right that's we'll live right um versus you know perishable if my last mile carrier is backing up my um on-time delivery is going down my refunds are going up and you know it's not uncommon for there to be as much as a five percent percentage point swing and on-time delivery from day to day. And so my ideal answer is that, you know, let's say I won't name any carriers because they're all friends and partners. But I was trying to, you know, it's so a carrier A, right, is um, typically ships 99% on-time delivery and then they dip down to 95%. Well, in that case, my ideal answer is that I'd rather switch to another carrier. And even if it means I'm spending you know, a dollar more on that package, that's a better kind of economic outcome for me. And then my customer stays happy. But how do I do that? And what if, you know, at most, maybe I can sustain two last mile carrier relationships. And what if they're both now kind of falling behind, which is not unusual either, then kind of damned if you do, damned if you don't. And, you know, these are the types of trade-offs that they don't just happen individually. They happen on every, well, ideally, they happen on every shipment. And it's not just that. It's also delivery distance. It's also costs and surcharges and all of these things factor in at any given time. 
And that level of granularity is impossible for companies to achieve. And that level of granularity is to your earlier question where cold cart comes in. And so, um, you know, we are, you know, the way it typically works is, um, you know, we are integrated into our customers' shopping carts or ERPs whenever they receive an order. We receive the order. That optimization logic is running on every individual order. And then based on those, or once those decisions are made, that work is then directly routed and operationalized through our fulfillment network of partners who we've got, you know, warehouses, we've got refrigerated trucking companies, we've got last mile carriers, all of whom are pre-integrated into cold cart. And um, together they cover about 99% of US residents in perishable delivery range. So it's a single end-time workflow all the way through. We can, for example, you know, let's say that on-time delivery, you know, decrease starts happening. A different shipping label, the different carrier gets generated automatically, and end customer doesn't care. Our customer, frankly, doesn't care. It's um, it just happens automatically, and all they see is you know on-time delivery improvement. And frankly, since we started actively tracking on-time delivery improvements, we um we've seen across cold cart that um on-time delivery rates have improved. Or let me put let me state that differently. Um, the percentage of on-time delivery failures through cold cart has decreased by 52% and continues as we continue to improve our optimization logic and stuff. Yeah, that's, um, you know, because you're making these changes. And from a packaging perspective, every order we track temperature, weather, even traffic disruptions, et cetera. And um, we can, you know, adjust, and this shows up, you know, on the warehouse floor, whether it's our partner or our customer's own fulfillment center, one day you might use one pound less of dry ice. I'm just using dry ice, but there's gel packs, there's liners, different types of corrugated. And, you know, we can, for the same shipment going, the same product inside it, going from the same origin location, the same destination, we can pack that shipment differently every single time as weather as other factors allow. And so, um, that's really how the, how the platform works. Um, as you're a customer, you, or when you're a customer, cold card also serves as your, Kind of single source of truth or command center for uh, tracking all orders, shipments, inventory. We track down the lock code and expiration dates. And um, similarly, once you're in cold cart, you have access to the entire network. So, you know, whereas without us, you have to go source however number of 3PLs yourself, have to negotiate all these last five carriers yourself, and maybe you get a couple vendors in each category. Here, you've got access to the entire thing. So we've had in some very large companies come to us and tell us that, well, hey, like, I'll just use myself, Chicago, because apparently nobody wants to ship to another country, even when you're 200 million in revenue. Um, I'll take it personally, but um, like we want to open up Chicago, but, um, you know, it's, we're going to have to ship a lot of air freight. And then, you know, we're going to have to really take some hits on gross margin or losses until we can kind of prove the volume and put real marketing into it and get to scale. It's like with, Every perishable e-commerce operator is familiar with that situation, but with cold cart, you can essentially just start shipping, right? And um, that's already available. No IAT integration. You can run off cold cart rates, et cetera. And um, you can kind of dial up and dial on markets too, if you if that's what you need. I really like that approach because if I'm like a small to medium sized e like perishable e-commerce shipper and you know, somehow maybe I'm putting a lot of my money into social media marketing or something like that. And someone, I live in North Carolina and someone in Seattle orders a cake 
well, now I have to figure out how to get a cake to Seattle or I have to cancel that order where maybe, you know, I fit a niche niche that is in Seattle, that isn't in Seattle. And so suddenly, you know, it's just a great way for like, if I were a shipper to not have to worry about how to service my audiences, you guys kind of, um, you give off that, uh, showtime rotisserie chicken, set it and forget it vibes. Um, of just like cold cart takes it. Don't worry. Like they'll monitor everything for you. We'll give you a status update, but for the most part, most part, like you don't got to worry about it. We got it. That's right. It's, um, you know, these are product and marketing companies at the end of the day, you know, they're not packaging engineering experts or, um, you know, they're not kind of deep operations experts, nor should they have to be right. And, um, you know, it's interesting. We, um, one shipper we've been talking with recently, they ship 25,000 packages a day and all over the country. And what they said is every individual geographic market is its own PL for them because of how different the fulfillment cost profiles are and how different the vendor mix is, et cetera. And that's, that's just a lot of complexity, right? Just to ship a box of food to someone's house, right? And, um, you know, that all goes away with cold cart. And um, it kind of reminds me of, you know, when I was in consulting, I was mentioning sort of how, you know, this was the era of advent of the cloud, so to speak, or whatever kind of, you know, fancy word you want to throw at it, but, um, or $2 word you want to throw at it. But, um, you know, it's over, you know, back before 20, let's, well, well, stop that. But, you know, over a decade ago, <laughs> over a decade ago, um, you know, if I was going to start a company, I would have to put a physical data center in that closet over there, or I'd have to, you know, find someone who will rent me server racks and rent me equipment. And I have to understand if my heating and cooling costs are efficient. And I don't know how I can do that, right? I'm building a mindfulness meditation app. Or you know, it's, um, and, but yet that was the assumed, accepted and expected burden of doing businesses that I've got to have a data center and, I'm going to just have to eat that infrastructure. And then what happened was Amazon Web Services, AWS comes along and um, they take all of that decentralized infrastructure that every individual company is having a bear on their own and they centralize it in a way that um, is more efficient than any individual company would be able to achieve on their own. And so now if I'm going to start a company, I just open up an AWS account and there's a few dials I have to pull, but um, it generally does the work for me. And I'm sure... CTO is cringing right now. <laughs> sort of like being so flippant about how I'm describing it. But you know, it's, it's a very different, um, that's no longer a barrier to entry for businesses. That's no longer a fixed cost I have to carry on my, you know, on my P&L. That's, um, I don't have to think about, am I getting, you know, sort of how much, if, you know, if, as a business operator, right? How much efficient are my storage costs, et cetera. And all that just to say that that is where perishable e-commerce is today. And again, you have the fastest growing category of e-commerce. You have in the US, every year, the total D2C penetration of all food and beverage sales is increasing by over 17%. That's not including grocery. That's not including restaurant delivery. That is true native D2C. You have more and more families are buying more and more food online, just like they're buying, you know, everything else online. And yet, these are the operating conditions in which all of these companies are having to kind of struggle their way through. And frankly, it's a reason why a lot of companies don't make it. They've got a great product and, you know, they've got, you know, a path to profitability, et cetera. But this stuff is just systemically just too much of an obstacle to overcome.
Yeah. I cannot imagine trying to sit there grow my business, but also, you know, try to figure out how to ship things across the country by myself without, you know, leveraging a partner or, you know, having someone like cold cart was a partner. Um, but, uh, that being said, we are running out of time and there's a question that everyone that comes on the show has yeah. to answer. Jason, are you ready for it? I'm ready. I'm bracing myself. Oh, I'm on the table here. Is cereal considered a soup? Hmm. I don't think cereal is considered a soup. Um, and here's why. So, again, I'm thinking through this on the fly. So you kind of hear from here, but um, right, chicken noodle soup, right? Let's just look semantically at that. And if I take the chicken and the noodles out of the soup, is it a soup anymore? I don't think it is, but you could eat. It's chicken and broth, and if you eat the chicken and noodles, it's chicken and noodles, but there's no more soup without the actual broth. Whereas I can eat my cereal without milk, and I think I think we would all agree that um, it is still cereal. And so I guess it depends. In this case, cereal is the actual, whatever you call it, the crunchy, the thing you trust. <laughs> but the cereal is the actual cereal. It actually is not about the broth or the uh, milk or the liquid aspect of it. That's my opinion anyway. But. MVP choice, Jason. MVP choice. Uh, I am. I, I know that I'm a monster who doesn't eat. I don't eat cereal with milk. Like I just don't. It's not a thing. I don't like it. I like the crunchy texture that scrapes the roof of your mouth, even Captain Crunch. So to me, it's not because also there's a cereal aisle at the grocery store and a soup aisle at the grocery store and they are not the same. They're usually multiple aisles apart. And you know, Mary, you deserve to enjoy your cereal in whatever form you want to enjoy it without having any of the rest of us, you know, tell you you should eat your cereal with milk or that your cereal should be a soup. You should own it, you know, your choice. I do. I own it. And I know that it's weird, but I, you know what? It makes me happy. And that's how I choose to enjoy things. Um, so I love that. Uh, so Jason, if anyone wants to question your cereal choices or reach out about any, uh, maybe if they want to know if you have the answer to all cold chain problems, where can they find you outside the show? So we, um, our website is coldcart.co, C-O-L-D-C-A-R-T dot C-O. And um, that has a form where you can contact us. That also has your know, email addresses. And I'm Interested to see how many of those, you know, those inbound forms we get now are about cereal, <laughs> you know? <laughs> but uh, maybe there's a business opportunity there as well, but that's the best way to reach us. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks so much, Mary. I really enjoyed this. Thanks so much for having me. Anytime. You can catch other episodes of Running on Ice here on YouTube or anywhere you get your podcasts like Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Need more Running on Ice news? No sweat. Subscribe to the newsletter on FreightWaves.com slash Running on Ice. See you on the internet. Thank you.